0: Welcome to Come Follow Me With Bree, episode 44, Symbolism. All right, first of all, thank you so much for all the sharing you're doing. I don't know if any of you care about this, but it is so encouraging for me to see the numbers continue to climb of the amount of people listening to it. And it is because you guys are sharing. So thank you so much. It really validates me. It it encourages me to keep going, like I said last week, and it just adds a special spirit to my week to know that maybe somebody needed to hear what what I had to say. So thank you. And if you also feel so inclined, I would love, love, love it if you wanted to leave a five-star review, you know, if that's how you feel. (laughs) Reviews help to boost the podcast higher up in the search results so that more people can find it. So if you don't want to leave a review, that's totally fine. Still happy to have you here. But if you do and you just haven't done it yet, I'd like to encourage you to do it this week. So thank you so much. Okay, so let's get into our stuff for this week. We are going to go through some minimal context today. Section 77 is a cool one because we get to hear some of the questions that Joseph Smith had about revelations in the New Testament and the symbolism in there. Now for this week's Come Follow Me, there are a couple of um, more obvious scriptures that I could focus on that are in section 78 and 80 um, that I think probably I'm sure there are going to be plenty of other podcasts that will focus in on those awesome scriptures. So for today, I want to choose a different topic. I have always thought that section 77, with all of its questions and answers, is so interesting. What I want to talk about today isn't necessarily the specific answers given in there about Revelations, but I want to talk about how and why the Lord chooses to work through symbolism. There is a lot of symbolism in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the Book of Mormon, in the Doctrine and Covenants. The scriptures are described by Nephi as plain and precious. Nephi glories in plainness, but sometimes when we read these symbolic parts of the scriptures, like Revelations, it seems anything but plain and simple. I mean, listen to some of these symbols in the questions that Joseph asks in Revelations. Are the four beasts limited to individual beasts, or do they represent classes or orders? What are we to understand by the eyes and wings which the beasts had? What are we to understand by the book which John saw, which was sealed on the back with seven seals? So in this episode, I'm not going to delve into revelations specifically because it's very complex, but I am going to talk about the symbols the Lord uses to teach us and why he uses them. For those of us who have been through the temple, you know that there is a lot of symbolism happening in the temple ceremony, some of which we are told what it means and other parts you need to figure out yourself. And even if you haven't been through the temple, there's tons of symbolism in just the building of the physical structure. In fact, when we leave the temple after having been endowed, we wear underclothing as a symbol called garments for the rest of our life, day and night. It's taken me a long time to come to a better appreciation of garments. I remember when I was first married, really hating them. And to my credit, they were much more uncomfortably made at this point. They've really made leaps and bounds as far as the the cut and design of them. But I remember hearing my mom say that she felt naked if she wasn't wearing them, and I just thought, I just feel excited when I don't have to wear them. It was a struggle for a long time. I still wore them, but I can't say I always enjoyed it. But now, hopefully, as I've gotten more spiritually mature, I appreciate them so much more. They are a reminder of the covenants I have made and to whom I dedicate my life. They are with me always as a physical reminder and a protection, and I can sincerely say at this point that they are a blessing. I get to have a physical symbol on my body at all times that I am His by choice. So with symbolism being such an integral part of how the Lord communicates and teaches us the gospel, what is the purpose of symbolism? Why not just tell us directly? Sometimes we are given symbolism without a detailed answer, like we're given here in section 77. And even with all of the answers we receive in section 77, there are still tons more questions that are to be had about revelations. And sometimes in the scriptures, the Lord explains something, but the basic definition is kind of abstract and a little difficult to fully grasp. So he gives us symbolism to help us understand it more clearly and deeply. Think about the concept of faith. In Alma 32, we are given a basic definition of it. So verse 21. And now, as I said concerning faith, faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. Therefore, if ye have faith, ye hope for things which are not seen, which are true. Now, as I said concerning faith, not that it was a perfect knowledge, even so it is with my words. Ye cannot know of their surety at first unto perfection any more than faith is a perfect knowledge. But behold, if ye will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, and exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if ye can know more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until you believe in a manner that ye can give place for a portion of my words. So, first, we are given a definition and some practical explanation. But then, Alma compares faith to a seed, and we are given so much more depth to ponder. Verse 28, now we will compare the word unto a seed. Now, if ye give place that a seed might be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if ye do not cast it out by your unbelief, that ye will resist the Spirit of the Lord, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when ye feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, It must needs be that this is a good seed, or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul, yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding, yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. Now behold, would not this increase your faith? I say unto you, Yea, nevertheless, it had not grown up to a perfect knowledge. But behold, as the seed swelleth, and sprouteth, and beginneth to grow, then you must needs say that the seed is good. For behold, it swelleth, and sprouteth, and beginneth to grow. And now behold, will this not strengthen your faith? Yea, it will strengthen your faith. For ye will say, I know that this is a good seed, for behold, it sprouteth, and beginneth to grow. And now, behold, are ye sure that this is a good seed? I say unto you, yea, for every seed bringeth forth unto its own likeness. Therefore, if a seed groweth, it is good. But if it groweth not, behold, it is not good. Therefore, cast it away. And now, behold, because ye have tried the experiment, and planted the seed, and it swelleth, and sprouteth, and beginneth to grow, ye must needs know that the seed is good. And now, behold, is your knowledge perfect? Yea, your knowledge is perfect in that thing, and your faith is dormant. And this because you know, for ye know that the word hath swelled your souls, and ye know also that it hath sprouted up, that your understanding doth begin to be enlightened, and your mind doth begin to expand. Now, Alma talks even more about this metaphor, and I'm not going to go into that right now. But think about how much more you understand because of the metaphor of the seed, and you have the ability to analyze and ponder when you're given this metaphor. In the Institute Manual, Scripture Study, The Power and Word, Teacher Manual, Lesson 13, it says, Symbols can be timeless, culture-free, and language-free. When such things as plants, animals, and manifestations in nature are used to teach principles, they can be used without reference to a particular language, time, or people, and can bridge the barriers of communication that often exist between ages or cultures. The use of a wave of the sea to represent a person whose faith is not firm can communicate the same message to any people at any time. So think about how vastly different cultures are. Think about how different, even right now, in different parts of the world, different cultures are. And now think about adding in a span of time, a huge span of time that the scriptures cover and how enormous that gap is in culture. As I'm saying this, I'm just so happy that I decided to go with this topic because I'm thinking about things I've never really thought about before. Think about how all-knowing and wise Heavenly Father is to use things in nature to bridge the gap between time and culture. Think about my favorite scripture that I read at least every other podcast episode, Helaman 512. And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe, because of the rock on which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon, if men build, they cannot fall. Helaman found it effective to use these symbols to motivate and encourage his sons, and the same symbols motivate and encourage me today. Both of us, despite our difference in time and culture, can understand and visualize a rock, a mighty wind, a shaft in the whirlwind, a mighty storm, a sure foundation, and use these symbols to cement our conviction and greater understanding of the abstract idea that two beings, the Lord and Satan, that I cannot see— can have such an effect on me and my life. So next, let's think about the different styles of learning. There is visual, auditory, reading, writing, and kinesthetic. Because of all of the symbolism in the scriptures, and as I've seen in lots of lessons throughout the years, our ability to make up our own metaphors and symbols, the scriptures are perfectly set up to be used by the reader in whatever way will enable them to learn the best. The symbols appeal to the visual learner by giving them something to visualize. The scriptures appeal to the auditory learner by giving them something interesting to listen to. They appeal to the reading, writing learner in obvious ways. And the last one, the kinesthetic learner, was a little bit trickier for me to think about how they can learn from the scriptures in a kinesthetic way. But then I was reminded of what we just talked about in Alma 32. He talks about how the development of faith will feel and how you can experiment on it. He tells you that you will feel a swelling within your breasts, and it will begin to be delicious, and your understanding will be enlightened. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that, it helps me feel what faith feels like. And by appealing to all these different styles of learning through the use of symbols, each person is equipped to learn in the best way that they are able. And the use of symbols allow us to all remember the concepts more fully in the first place and also gives us a way to recall imperfectly in times of need and yet still be able to build upon that concept because you have a symbol to build your thoughts on. Next, the same institute manual that I referenced before, it says symbols can be used to reveal or conceal spiritual truths, depending upon the spiritual maturity of the individual. The Savior, for example, spoke to the people in parables because there were those among his hearers who were neither willing nor prepared to accept his teachings. This is the category that I tend to put the book of Revelations in which is what this section of the Doctrine and Covenants is referring to. Revelations is talking a whole lot symbolically about the dispensations of time and what will happen during them and what will happen leading up to the second coming of Christ. In Doctrine and Covenants section 106 verse 4, it says, And again, verily I say unto you, The coming of the Lord draweth nigh, and it overtaketh the world as a thief in the night. Therefore, gird up your loins that ye may be the children of light, that the day shall not overtake you as a thief. So Revelations talks about things in ways that you would need the spirit to understand and modern revelation. And even with the answers that we've been given in this section, I think it takes a whole lot of revelation from the spirit to grasp what it really means, because there's a whole lot of questions that he could have additionally answered. And luckily, we have a lot of those answers through modern revelation. Those scriptures I just read in Doctrine and Covenants says that the Second Coming will overtake the world as a thief in the night, but it will not overtake the children of light. And as we know, light can symbolically mean enlightened. I know growing up, I always thought that the Second Coming would be a complete surprise. But in a deeper study of the scriptures, we learned that those who are in tune with the Spirit, who seek revelation on the matter, and study the scriptures, really feast upon them, will not be surprised when the Lord comes. They will be expecting it and know as it's approaching. So to me, Revelations is intended to conceal information so that those who are not ready to receive it won't have it. Unfortunately, not everyone will be in tune with the spirit of Revelation in a way that will allow them to be children of light. The Lord uses symbols to refrain from sharing information with those who aren't ready to receive it. Which, side note, is a tender mercy because the Lord doesn't want us to be held accountable for knowledge that we weren't ready to receive in the first place. All right. Another reason that the Lord uses symbolism in the scriptures, and I'm going to quote that Institute manual again. It says, it contributes to an attitude of searching on the part of the student of the scriptures. A person who understands that there is more than just the obvious in scriptural passages will be inclined to search, ponder, probe, and pray about them to more fully comprehend and appreciate their prophetic message. So I think there's a lot that we can learn from the prophet Joseph in this regard, especially when we look at section 77. In fact, we can learn from the prophet Joseph in general that asking questions is important. Asking questions is the mark of a good student. It's the mark of a spiritually mature person. This entire section is questions about things he didn't understand. When you read Revelations, I think we all know that it's incredibly hard to understand, but... I hate to break it to you and to myself. We really have no excuse for not figuring these things out. Now, always keep in mind the line upon line, milk before meat concept. The spirit will guide you to what you need to seek to understand next. You're not going to understand everything at once. And certain things in the scriptures might not be a priority for your spirit at certain times. Like if you're someone who doesn't understand faith, you probably don't need to try and worry about understanding revelations yet. But getting back to the fact that we really cannot use the excuse that it's too hard to understand. We can't justifiably say that Isaiah is too hard. Revelations is too abstract. We have been given an incredible amount of revelation, modern day revelation, not only just in this section, but we have books and resources and modern day prophets to help us understand in very plain and simple terms, if we're willing to put in the research and the work and we're not talking about rocket science here. All we have to do is be willing to look and the answers are there. And once you get the basics of a parable or symbol down, you will naturally be more inclined to search, ponder, probe, and pray about them to get more and more out of them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is set up in such an incredible way that serves deeply both the beginner in the gospel and those whose spiritual knowledge have become more advanced through time, study, and experience. Do you guys remember when President Nelson talked about discovering the phrase, let God prevail? Listen to his experience. He says, for the more than 36 years I've been an apostle, the doctrine of the gathering of Israel has captured my attention. Everything about it has intrigued me, including the ministries and names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their lives and their wives, the covenant God made with them and extended through their lineage, the dispersion of the 12 tribes, and the numerous prophecies about the gathering in our day. I have studied the gathering, prayed about it, feasted upon every related scripture and asked the Lord to increase my understanding. So imagine my delight when I was led recently to a new insight. With the help of two Hebrew scholars, I learned that one of the Hebraic meanings of the word Israel is let God prevail. Thus, the very name of Israel refers to a person who is willing to let God prevail in his or her life. That concept stirs my soul. The word willing is crucial in this interpretation of Israel. We all have our agency. We can choose to be of Israel or not. We can choose to let God prevail in our lives or not. We can choose to let God be the most powerful influence in our lives or not. Isn't it awesome that the prophet of God is still learning, is still delighted, is still finding new insight. This particular new delight comes through the symbolism of words. Words themselves represent meaning and president nelson was able to extract more meaning out of the common gospel word israel by studying the word itself as a symbol i want to read a scripture that always makes me giggle but it has such incredible meaning to it so second nephi chapter 9 verse 51 hearken diligently unto me and remember the words which i have spoken and come unto the holy one of israel and feast upon that which perisheth not neither can be corrupted And let your soul delight in fatness. Don't you love that symbol there? Fatness. Let your soul delight in fatness. And what are we feasting on? The words of the Lord. How can we help our spirits become delightfully fat? By feasting upon that which perisheth not. And what a feast we have been given. We have been given things explained plainly, we have been given symbols that can be understood on a surface level and then explored deeply. I am so grateful for symbols. I am so grateful that the Lord is so wise and is the most amazing, effective teacher. Do you think the all-knowing Father in heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ, don't know the most effective way to teach the human family? If I can borrow a line from the hymn, O My Father, the thought makes reason stare. There are so many things in the gospel that makes reason stare, and this is one of them. Of course they know exactly how to teach us, exactly what will be the most effective, exactly what will fill our souls right now here on earth as we fatten up our spirits and we continue on into eternity with him. Do you remember last week when I quoted the prophet Joseph Smith speaking about seeing into heaven? He said, could you gaze into heaven five minutes? You would know more than you would by, than by reading all that was ever written on the subject. And then in verse 116 in section 76, Neither is man capable to make them known for they are only to be seen and understood by the power of the Holy Spirit, which God bestows on those who love him and purify themselves before him. If we are only capable of understanding those things by seeing and understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe our efforts and development of spiritual maturity so that we can understand and feast on these symbols as we are given them now is the beginning of learning that higher and holier way maybe as we study books like the book of revelation we will start to get to see and understand through the power of the holy spirit now don't get me wrong i'm not saying that understanding the symbols and parables is would replace actually seeing heaven but i do think it's somewhere in the middle it's somewhere in the middle of a surface explanation and actually seeing where if we understand the symbols involved I feel like that's somewhere in between, and I think that's really, really cool. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, it says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. You know where the deep, deep things of God are? I think it's in searching the symbols that we have been given, the parables that we have been given. David A. Edwards said, Symbols help with the spiritual communication. Through symbols, the Lord forges a link with us by using the things of this earth to represent the things of heaven. He has given us revelations, prophecies, teachings, ordinances, and ceremonies filled with symbols that can give us spiritual insights if we are prepared to receive them. The scriptures tell us that the Lord has used symbolism from the very beginning to teach people about Christ's atonement. He commanded Adam to sacrifice animals, but at first Adam didn't know why except to be obedient. An angel then came to him and explained that the sacrifice was a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. In other words, the angel taught Adam that the animal he sacrificed represented the Savior, who, though he would be without sin, would freely give his life to atone for the sins of the world. Later, the Lord taught Adam about baptism and explained its symbolism of rebirth. Afterward, he told Adam that all things have their likeness and all things are created and made to bear record of me, both things which are temporal and things which are spiritual, things which are in the heavens above and things which are on the earth, and things which are in the earth and things which are under the earth, both above and beneath, all things bear record of me. Nephi also learned this truth, and he showed his people that all things which have been given of God from the beginning of the world unto man are the typifying of Christ. This is why gospel symbols are so powerful, not because they are mysterious or exotic, but because they point our minds to the literal realities about the plan of salvation and our relationship to Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. They teach us about the Savior's atonement and what we have to do to be saved and exalted in the celestial kingdom. Man. Isn't that so incredible to think about? Not only has the Lord very clearly given us symbols to learn from in the scriptures, from our modern prophets in the temple, but we learn that all things which have been given of God from the beginning of the world unto man are the typifying of Christ. All things are spiritual. So look around you. He's everywhere. My mom is particularly good at finding him everywhere. I want to end with a quote from her, Tawny Kemp. She wrote this about rainbows. Most people have a favorite color. Mine is green. I adore sunsets, flowers, and food. Stripped of color, I suppose they could still do their job. But I can't help but think that they would lose the part that feeds my soul. Color is the bonus. The frosting on the cake. A gift so wonderful that they should all be tied up in a bow. Oh wait, they are. Tied by the giver himself. Color another witness, yea, and all things denote that there is a God. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ.